So the most important thing about you is that your soul has been saved by Jesus. That's why believing that and affirming that on a regular basis is more important than anything else that you are going to try to think or affirm in your life. And this is why Jesus can fill you with an inexpressible joy is because you've been saved. And that is how you open the door in order to experience the joy of his salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you have to do on your own, but you do not have to do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't do the work for you, but we can come alongside you to help encourage you. Uh, challenge you and tell some funny jokes along the way. My yes. name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the one, the only, <laughs> the original Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak, back Man. from his study break. <laughs> I'll tell you what, those introductions just get cheesier and cheesier. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's right. Uh, they should be saltier, not cheesier. Saltier, it's good know. to be back. It's good to be here. It's uh, It's been good. I'm really excited about this brand new series that we're going to be launching. And, uh, so I'm pretty fired up about it. I love that. So we are going into our brand new series. Um, yes. Yes. Don't freak out, right? Yeah. It's called don't freak out. We're going to be studying first Peter. It's a in-depth study kind of, we're just going to go chapter, 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 five chapters over the next five weeks studying first Peter, because the book was written to the church, mm. uh, in essence for that purpose. So what caused you to want to really read or lead the church through a study in first Peter? I mean, like what's the, I mean, we, we chose this title. Don't freak out. Don't freak but, out. Uh, you know, why first Peter? What's, what's the point of the series? Well, cause when I, I, you know, I was reading first Peter and I was just realizing that what it's a, it's more of a pastoral letter, you mm-hmm. know, and it, as opposed to like a hard doctrine okay. that Paul would write. And the bottom line is the world we live in today is reflective of what they faced the okay. early church. And we live in a world where, you know, freaking out has become an art form. Mm. You know, people are just freaking out everywhere so much so that we now have words for it, a Karen, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, which is sad because I know some Karens that are just the sweetest, nicest people right. ever. Uh, and what do they call guys that are Karens? Oh, is that I Chad? Heard- yeah, well, Something? Chad's, I feel like, more of like the alpha guy. The, like the, oh, the uh, frat boy the guy. The frat but, boy guy. But yeah, I, there was one I heard, but I yeah. can't remember what it was. But the bottom line is is that is that people are just freaking out. And it's like passion has substituted uh, purpose or a point, you know, right. just yelling and screaming. And the the we don't persuade people anymore. We just yell and scream, freak out over yell everything. And, scream, and if they don't agree with yeah. me, then I ignore them and block them from my Instagram forever. What a, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that this is a result of the last 50 years of some core values that have tried to be seeded into our culture. And one of them is the Marxist ideology that only societal change or political change happens when you have a revolution. And revolutions are uprising. And this is what Mm -hmm. Marx wrote about is that, you know, there's always this, the proletariat always rises up against the bourgeoisie. And so uh, it's just how history has always gone. And so what happens today is you see this fake outrage, this fake everything. Everybody's freaking out because everybody thinks, man, if we can, if we can get 
you know, a freak out to grow big enough, then maybe we can get some, some social change. Mm. And of course that's never good. And I think it's important to understand that, uh, we're kind of at a crossroads in America. I think America is a post-Christian society. It has in many ways turned against Christianity. Um, two things can be true at the same time though. This is very important to understand. You can believe that, America is turning against Christianity, right? And yet still believe that the founding principles of our Republic are good and virtuous and should be maintained. Uh, you can still be patriotic and love your country, but also be realistic about the, the winds that are blowing in it right now and how, you know, uh, devastating they can be if those are mm. allowed to take root and continue on this trajectory. Uh, you, you can believe that, uh, the founding principles of our Republic are solid, good, and virtuous while at the same time believe that our political leaders are abandoning them and leaving them. You can, uh, in, in the society in which you live, you could believe that it's turning against your values as a Christian and still hope and work towards reformation and restoration. Mm. You can believe that our society's turning against Christianity and still endeavor to pray for the salvation and the direction of your people, of the people in that are citizens of our neighbors and our, and our friends, you can still do that. But most importantly, and I think this is the critical point, it's important to believe that this principle or this concept that America is turning against Christianity in order that we don't freak out and are shocked when bad things happen because of it. Mm. See, that's really the key point is that I can love my country, but also be honest about the elements within it that are, have turned against uh, Christianity and in some ways revile and persecute Christians. Now, the second reason I think we want to study first Peter is because our nation, as it's grown more affluent has lost a lot of our inner strength. Individual people have lost their grit, their perseverance, their capacity to make sense out of suffering. And that even though we have more stuff, we have more money, we have more affluence, we're more lost, we are more empty, we are, there's more chaos and suffering in our world in America than ever before. So what happens when you are persecuted for your faith? What happens when things don't go your way? What happens when life gets turned upside down in ways you never imagined? These are some of the questions that Peter answered in his letter to the first century church. I love that. So I think this is going to be a really cool deep dive yes. in how to not freak out, which is, I <laughs> don't mean, freak out the, the name of the series. So yes. let's jump in. Let's uh, get back into the biblical study portion. Let's talk about what's happening in first Peter. Well, first Peter of course was written by the apostle Peter and it is more pastoral and it's written to encourage. Okay. It's really, you know, he, he was very, I want to encourage you. What's really fascinating about the apostle Peter is that his presence and his leadership is, uh, recognized in the first century church, not only through tradition, but also in the book of acts. Uh, you also see in the gospel, according to Matthew, Peter pay, played a very prominent role in the early church. But what's interesting is his writings did not match his stature in the church. In other words, he didn't write, he only wrote two letters. 
Um, and even then, uh, they think he had help writing it because he says that. And they think Silas of uh, Paul and Silas mm-hmm. was kind of helpful. He also mentions Mark, which is probably the John Mark who wrote the gospel according to Mark. Right. So people were helping him. And I have a feeling that Peter was a doer. He was not a scholar where he sat down and went and write. Now, Paul was a scholar. He wrote, 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 wrote extensively, right. but not Peter. He just went out and did. And so that's one of the reasons why we only have two letters from him. Uh, it's believed that it was written during the Neronian persecution. And that is uh, Nero was the Caesar of Rome for a period of time. He's also the one that they believe executed Paul at the end of the book of Romans. Um, okay. I'm sorry, the book of Acts, when he was stuck in Rome after that, he went to trial and then eventually he's executed. Uh and what happened is in AD 64, Nero, who was insane, uh, was an amazing, uh, a very prolific builder. He basically drained the entire Roman government treasury in order to build stuff. He built Nero's circus. He built all these things, these massive uh, uh, testimonies to himself. But one, hap- one thing happened is in a part of Rome, he wasn't very happy about. He felt it was kind of like below his standards. Mm-hmm. And so he thought, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to secretly light fire to a couple buildings. Then I can come in and seize those buildings and then I can build what I want. What happened is the fire got out of control and it burned a third of Rome. Oh, no. Yeah. And guess what? That was grounds for them to come and basically you know, which pitchforks and, and, and hang him from the, the trusses, so to speak. He knew this. And so what he did is he blamed the fire on this weird new cult called Christianity. And that's kind of how Christians initially got a really bad name in Roman empire. And that bad name and all the persecutions that came from it were based on a lie in the mm-hmm. lie that Nero told against them. And so it was during this time, this first outbreak of suffering throughout Asia Minor. So we'll see where it was written. And he wrote to these people, Peter did, to encourage them. Okay? Okay. And that's what this letter is all about. So it sounds like this letter could really be pretty applicable to our society and what's going on today. Yes. And and in some ways, I think that... um, we still have a lot of freedoms. We don't want to overstate the case, but they could be lost. So let's kind of read what Peter wrote in his first chapter. And we're going to do the first chapter of first Peter, uh, this coming Sunday. First one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he identifies himself to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's not really talking about Israel the nation of Israel and Jerusalem and even Antioch. He's really talking about the area that is modern day Greece and modern day Turkey, okay. kind of all that area. Cause the church Christianity grew dramatic, dramatically up there. And also it was predominantly Gentile Christians. Okay. So he's writing to them and he says, look, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So first, notice all the regions he's addressing. Second, notice his description of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He says that we are chosen. How do you get chosen? 
Well, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter one, where he says that when you heard the gospel of your salvation and you believed, mm. you became um, a part of the chosen, those who have chosen to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the first step in not freaking out is to affirm who you really are as a believer. This is really important. The only way to navigate the chaos of the world in which we live today is we have to continually affirm the gospel of our sound foundation. If you forget who you are, it's easy to freak out, have a meltdown, become unglued, be pushed in here by every emotional appeal. So the first step in not freaking out is affirm who you really are, the gospel of your salvation. In the gospels, Jesus talks about how if a thief wants to enter a strong man's house, he has to first come in and bind the strong man, mm -hmm. and then he can ransack the house. Well, the bottom line is in the same manner, your identity, knowing who you are is your strength. Okay. Okay. Your foundational identity is the power of your faith. It's what makes you a strong person. Therefore, if you lose that, Satan is going to come in and you're bound so he can steal your life, so to speak. And in John 10, 10, uh, Jesus references, he says, the thief comes to steal and destroy. So he has to enter in, bind the strong man. What's a strong man? Well, it is your identity in Christ, the gospel of your salvation. So this letter was, I mean, written to lead, I mean, how do I want to phrase this? So this, this letter was written by the lead apostle, Peter. He's basically telling every follower of Jesus how to grow strong, yes. um, how to plant your feet on a firm foundation, regardless of what's going on around you so that you don't freak out. <laughs> yeah, don't freak um, out. So I think let's, let's. Um, we've kind of had that, that preview. Let's go further and discover what Peter tells us to do when we're facing uncertainty. Yeah. And if, and we'll pick up halfway through verse four, where it says this, it goes, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now this is really important is as a part of the chosen, the elect, because of your redemption in Jesus Christ, you receive an inheritance. And Paul talks about this as well in Ephesians chapter one. But this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. That means nobody can steal it from us. Mm. Okay. He says, uh, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're not only saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ and made righteous and now back in relationship with God, there is a revelation, the second coming of Christ for this other salvation. And this is a part of our inheritance. He says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice though. Now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now he starts mm. to address it here. He goes, look, I know things are really bad. And in their things right now for them in the first century were worse than paying $5 for a gallon of gas. Mm. Okay. They were really suffering. Um, and they were having trials and tribulations, but he says, look, don't forget your inheritance is in heaven. Your identity makes you part of the family of God. This is your strength and your inheritance is coming E and you rejoice in that. Don't ever forget. So all of these things, 
are very important. Only those who are identified as family members, right? Children of the father get an inheritance. Mm -hmm. So you see how identity and your inheritance are very intimately linked. Well, and I think the identity of knowing who you are is also important. I mean, that's what it kind of breaks down to is yes. you can only have that identity. You can only claim that inheritance if you know you are a child of God and you believe it. What you believe about yourself as this wise man I see fairly often says is one of the most important things, things about, about you, you right? <laughs> yes. And so um, what, what you believe about yourself is so important. And if you know that your identity is in Christ and that mm -hmm. you are to inherit this salvation that is current and coming, then that makes a huge difference in how you plant your feet and how you um, carry yourself, right? It's, yes. it's critical to that certainty, um, mm -hmm. as, as they say. So what else are, what else are we looking well, at? I, I think that, you know, you're, you're making this excellent point about certainty. And that is, is that, you know, right now there seems to be in our culture, this, uh, really important thing about affirmations, you know, daily affirmations, you know, and a lot of these affirmations people are encouraged to make, or I'm a King or I'm a queen or I'm special, I'm unique. I can do it. Um, I'm victorious and all that kind of stuff. And what Peter's saying is that those are, if you really want to be strong, and if you really want to be able to understand how to manage the chaos in your life and stand up through this, these trials and tribulations is here. The affirmations that you should be making is I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. I've been made. He has adopted me into his family. I have an inheritance in heaven waiting for me. And that's going to give you more certainty in times of tribulation. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 10. Um, no, I'm sorry. Verse seven. He says this, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. Well, what has come these trials and tribulations? Okay. Of greater worth than gold. He says, look, the genuineness of your faith is greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though it's refined by fire. So he's making kind of a, a sub point there. He says, the genuous genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So basically when Jesus comes back, he's saying, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, man, you stayed firm in the midst of this suffering. You know, even though it was hard, you did not give up your faith. Verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Now you notice how he's talking to these people who are predominantly Gentile Christians. Mm -hmm. These are people that lived in a region that Je Jesus never went to. Jesus never spoke or preached there. Okay. He stayed very close in the nation of Israel. This is way, way, way North. And so he didn't go up there. And so he says, but look, you, you didn't see him, but you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And because of that, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, this is really important. Even in the midst of difficult times, even in the midst of chaos, you can have an inexpressible and glorious joy. How do you get that? Well, go back to the earlier verses. We affirm that we have been adopted into his family through the gospel of our salvation. And we are now receiving, verse 9, the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So the most important thing about you is that your soul has been saved by Jesus. That's why believing that and affirming that on a regular basis is more important than anything else that you are going to try to think or affirm in your life. And this is why Jesus can fill you with an inexpressible joy is because you've been saved 
And that is how you open the door in order to experience the joy of his salvation. So, I mean, really understanding that joy of I am saved, I am loved, and I am a child of God is so important when things get hard. Because if you put all of your hope or you depend all your joy, even on a spouse at yes. in those times of hardship, they are inevitably flawed and will let you down. That's not a, an eternal wellspring of joy. You, they may be able to Correct. help you find joy or friends, or, you know, maybe you've, you've fallen off the path and you go to some other thing to try to fill that hole and try to make yourself feel better. All those things will fall apart and fade away eventually in some way. The only thing that can really give you eternal joy that will really carry you through those times is this knowledge of salvation that yeah. someone came and died for you and loves you enough to chase after you the way that Jesus did. Yeah. And notice what he does in verse 10. He even digs down. He goes concerning this salvation. So you notice how he said earlier, the key to having inexpressible joy is remembering that you are saved by Christ mm. and you've been set apart. He goes, now let's dig into this salvation. He says, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of the Messiah, the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glorious glories that would follow. So what he's saying is go, look, this salvation has come to you. All right. Now remember the prophets of old searched intently through the old Testament scriptures to figure out when is this grace of God going to be poured out among people. Okay. He goes, they tried to find out the time and circumstances, Mm -hmm. but they couldn't. He goes on to say, he goes, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Mm. So angels long to understand how this works. And yet they are not completely aware of what God through the power of Jesus Christ has done in your soul. And it's all about your salvation. And so this is why it's so important for us as Christians, even if you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years, is to never forget that this salvation is the whole point of why Jesus Christ came. And it is the foundation of how we stand up in times of difficulty. I mean, let's expand on that a little bit. What is Jesus... Um, what kind of an impact does he have on us when we are facing uncertain times? I mean, in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. How does that, how does that link with these times when we're maybe uncertain? Well, my personal opinion is this, and I think it reflects the, what Peter is talking about right here. Cause look at what he says in verse 13, he goes, therefore, and that's a very important word. So he said, I'm laying out my case. Okay. Mm. Salvation, grace of God comes because you're a part of the chosen. You're adopted into his family. You have an inheritance. You need to think these things. And then he says, therefore, now, why do I need to think these things? He says, because with minds that are alert and fully sober, see, 
The whole point of tribulation, the whole point of difficulty, the whole point of struggles is to mess with your mind. Mm. It's to get you to forget who you are. It's to get you to question who you are. It's to get you to focus on things that are counter to your authentic identity. Does that make sense? Yes. So he says, what, but if you're affirming this gospel of, of your salvation, okay, and you're putting all your hope in that, in this glorious inheritance, regardless of whatever you're facing, whatever confusion you have, whatever obstacle you have, whatever thing that is making you fulfilled with despair, maybe loneliness, maybe a, a lack of motivation, whatever mm. it might be. He says, if you affirm these things, what it does is it clears up your mind and it makes your mind more alert and you are fully sober, which is what happens when you drink too much. What happens to your brain? It gets fuzzy. It gets fuzzy. Muddied. Yeah. And, and so what he's saying is you want a clear mind. So your mind is clear based on the nature of your salvation. And then he goes on to say this. So set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So I have been saved by grace right now and adopted into his family. And so even in the midst of the, they were suffering right under mm-hmm. this Neuronian persecution, he goes, I'm going to set my hope on not only the grace, which saves me, but the grace that I will receive the greater inheritance that happens when Jesus Christ is revealed. So our hope is really powerful is what he's saying. Your hope is so powerful. Don't put your hope in things. Don't even put your hope in the idea that things are going to work out better for you. Mm. So you notice how he doesn't make that promise. He says, if you really want to be strong, if you really want to be filled with inexpressible joy, then no matter what's going on, place your hope, set your hope on the future grace of the revelation of Jesus. Mm. And so I have no capacity to be disappointed if all of my hope is in that. Right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Then he goes on to say this at the end. He goes, once we set our hope on the salvation of Jesus, now we are conformed to a new righteousness. Now I'm that he doesn't say that, but my point is, is that that's what verse 14 goes into. Verse 14 says the following as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So he's saying, Don't live the way you lived before you knew who you were, Mm. right? Don't live before you were set free by the gospel of your salvation. Okay. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So my question is this, is Peter in this, in these verses that you just read saying that we only have power when we are holy, or maybe you interpret that word as perfect. Uh, in other words, can I only be filled with this unending joy that we're talking about this certainty Mm -hmm. as long as I'm not making mistakes? Well, unfortunately, a lot of Christians believe that, you know, they believe that, well, I'm happy and filled with joy when God is doing things for me and making things work out. And then when things go bad, you lose your joy and you're upset because God isn't working things out for you. But what he's saying is this, is that certainty, 
hope, when you set your hope on that future grace of the revelation of Jesus, he goes, that certainty, that strength that comes from that type of hope is never about perfection. Mm. It's not about things going good or bad. He says, it's all about growing in them. Okay. okay. And so that's what he's saying. You're being conformed to what you learn. L- listen to verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you, what he says, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Notice what he's saying. He's saying your value is super high and it's not in your perfection. Okay. It's in your redemption. Basically, what he's saying is this. You weren't bought with such things as silver and gold, but something even more value. So how, how do you determine value? Well, value is simply, in economics, what something is a price that a person will pay for something, right? Mm. But what's interesting is it's not just anybody. Because uh, let's say you have a foolish person who wins the lottery. You know, they'll pay a million dollars for a baseball card worth five bucks because they want it. Right. So they don't understand value. The real issue here is what is an educated person in a particular discipline is, are they willing to pay for something? I don't know about you, but I like to watch this show where they travel around and people bring their trinkets out of their garage and then the road show, antique road show or whatever, antique road show. And then they have these experts come in and go, Oh, well, you know, like I, I remember this one guy said, yeah, you know, uh, when I was in the, uh, service, a uh, long, long time ago, I bought this Rolex for 250 bucks and I brought it home and he had it in the original box with the original bill of sale and the re- it was $250 and it was like world war two when he bought it, when okay. he was over in, uh, the Eastern theater, uh, of world war two, he brings it home and it sat there for 50 years and stuff. And the guy looks at that and he says, well, basically, you know, this is this and you have this and you have this and he goes, he goes, well, what do you think it's worth? He goes, well, right now you could probably get about $45,000 for that watch. And the guy almost fainted, you know, (laughs) wow. How do you know that? You know, it's just crazy. And, and what, this is what Peter is saying. He's going, look, you were bought by the blood of Jesus. This is the sacrifice of a living God. So your value is incredibly high. It wasn't, you were bought with earthly stuff. You were bought with spiritual, heavenly blood of Jesus Christ. So your value, what was paid for you is so immense and so high. But at the same point, you realize I had to be bought. Mm. See, not only do I have value because of what was paid for me. Never forget that I had to be bought back. Right. And those two things seem like a contradiction, but it's a perfect thing that I think what Peter is saying here is that is I can walk around with a tremendous amount of confidence and certainty in my value, but be incredibly humble in the process Mm. because I didn't get here myself. Right. I was bought. 
It wasn't on my own strength. It I was wasn't on my own strength. So that's great to know. Um, I guess just to wrap up as we're, as we're finishing up, how does this redemption give us certainty and strength? Well, he kind of wraps up the chapter in verse 22 and 23 uh, and 24, where he says, look, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from your heart. Mm. So he's saying now we have the capacity to love in ways we never imagined for you have been born again. And we see this term that Jesus used in John chapter three, the apostle John used it. And now the apostle Peter, you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable one through the living and enduring word of God for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Strength and certainty only occur when we return to the gospel, the word in its purest form that was preached to us, because that is where our strength for tomorrow comes from, Mm. you see? And it comes from this grace and mercy and redemption, not our own perfection, but from the redemptive act of Jesus in our lives each and every day. I love that. Well, Pastor, thank you so much for sharing with us. We're so excited to have you back on the desk. Good to be back. And be back here preaching on Sunday with us. And we're excited for this brand new series, Don't Freak Out. Don't freak out. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.